0: This episode of Rocketship.fm is brought to you by Clubhouse, the first project management platform for software development that brings everyone together so that teams can focus on what matters, creating products their customers love. With a simple API and robust set of integrations, Clubhouse also seamlessly integrates with the tools that you already use every day. Listeners of FM can sign up for two free months of Clubhouse by visiting clubhouse.io forward slash Rocketship.fm. just go to porkbun.com forward slash fm twenty-four. That's porkbun P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocket twenty-four. You'll save a dollar on your next domain.
1: As artificial intelligence continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation that we can't ignore. AI safety and security It's time to prioritize AI security. Visit hackerone.com slash AI dash safety dash security. Again, hackerone.com slash AI dash safety dash security.
2: Hi there, who are you? I'm Jeff Bezos. And what what is your claim to fame?
0: (laughs) I'm the founder of Amazon.com.
2: At Amazon.com, the
1: front door is a page out on the Internet. We've demonstrated that
0: Internet retailing and online commerce works. We're living proof.
1: Bold words from Amazon founder and CEO Jeff Bezos, but he can back them up. Amazon.com of Seattle is one of the hot sites on the Internet.
2: Where did you get an idea for Amazon.com?
0: Well, three years ago, I was in New York City, working for a quantitative hedge fund. When I came across the startling statistic that web usage was growing at 2,300% a year. So I decided I would try and find a business plan that made sense in the context of that growth.
1: Its revenues are growing 20 to 30% a month. The number of employees is up from just 7 18 months ago to more than 200. We've created a very
0: simple and easy to use front end that allows people anywhere in the world to search through this vast database of books and find what they're looking for. Amazon.com. Today, the largest retailer online. They launched on July 5th, 1994, at the infancy of the internet. And yet... They are not the first company to take a credit card online. They are not the first company to even sell a book online. And today we bring you the story of Charlie Stack, the man who took the first credit card payment online, sold the first book online. Today we have the story of books.com. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka and Mike
1: Belsito. The year was 1992. The location, Cleveland, Ohio, the birthplace of online commerce. That's right, Cleveland, Ohio, not Silicon Valley, not San Francisco, not even Seattle, Washington. This is the story of books.com the internet's very first e-commerce store, and its founder, Charlie Stack, a lawyer turned self-taught software developer, and what happened when Charlie and Books.com created internet history and later faced a new entrant in Jeff Bezos and Amazon.com. Today, Charlie's known as one of the most active and outspoken members of Cleveland's startup community as an angel investor, running a large co-working space, and spearheading the city's only technology accelerator. But the one thing that Charlie rarely talks about is his role in internet history. After all, according to Charlie, you can only change the future, not the past. So why talk about the past? So that role that Charlie and Books.com played in the beginning of e-commerce often goes virtually ignored. Until today. understand the story of books.com, you have to understand who Charlie Stack is. I've only had the chance to know the Charlie of today. Somebody who comes across as somewhat introverted, yet is very connected. Somebody who stoically stares into you as you talk, leaving you wondering how he's going to react to whatever it is that you're saying, yet his responses are often quite thoughtful and helpful. Often he's a little bit disheveled and he's usually dressed in black, Charlie almost comes across as a cross between a throwback of Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. But unlike today's crop of internet entrepreneurs, Charlie didn't study computer science or learn under established tech entrepreneurs. Back in the 1980s, internet startups didn't even exist, so how could he? Instead, Charlie started on a different path, as a lawyer. And it was then when Charlie first was really exposed to business
2: technology. When I was in law school, I was a law clerk at a personal injury firm, and they brought in this $35,000 word processor that nobody knew how to use. Whenever they pushed a button and the printer ran, the whole room shook, Uh, and all the paralegals and secretaries were afraid of it. But I thought it kind of looked cool. So I went in there and figured out that not only was it a giant word processor, but it had a mail merge function which at the time was revolutionary. My job as a law clerk was to put together discovery documentation, which is hundreds and hundreds of pages with a few variables. ah mail merge. And, you know, if if you're a younger person, the concept of not having a word processor is totally foreign, but there used to be pools of secretaries who would sit around on typewriters where if you made a single mistake, you had to go back and literally paint it out and type over it. So, word processor was revolutionary, but I figured out how to do the mail merge part. So, I would type in all the details of a case into this database, which I didn't know even to call it that, into a database, and then have it merge with a form and print out these hundreds and hundreds of pages. Problem was, the printer was only 50 pages capacity, and it was what was called a daisy wheel, which was a lot like a machine gun. So it was incredibly loud its own little booth, its own little room, but I just would print out 300 pages on command very, very slowly. So I would get it all set up, press print, and then go ask one of the nice secretaries to change the paper every couple minutes when it ran out of the 50 pages, and I would go to the baseball game. <laughs> and after about three weeks of that, the senior partner came to me and said, how are we gonna get our other uh, law clerks as productive as you are?
1: Even as a law clerk in the 1980s, Charlie was starting to see the kind of impact that technology could have in business. As the most productive law clerk, who was able to sneak out often for baseball games. But later, Charlie would go on to start his own law firm. And Charlie realized that the technologies available to him wouldn't just be helpful in terms of productivity. They could actually have a big impact on his firm. they could be good for business. Here's Charlie and how he was able to teach himself one computer language, which very quickly changed the course of the way his firm did business.
2: I programmed a database system to manage Superfund litigation for my own practice. Uh, and it was extremely valuable. And then fast forward a couple of years, as I was progressively disliking the practice of law more and more, a friend of mine asked me to extend my database to manage medical records. So I did that. And then I thought, and then she paid me for that, which was great. Um, And then I stopped practicing law and formed a company just to write software, because I really liked it. Um, And I had no formal background, but I do one language. So I programmed to DBase and wrote databases and management systems. And then I got incredibly lucky. We wrote an asbestos case management system for one law firm in town. And it was a huge effort. Because it's extremely complex litigation with hundreds of plaintiffs and thousands, uh, thousands of plaintiffs and hundreds of defendants. But I wrote this for a law firm, and over the course of a weekend, the the landscape of asbestos litigation changed. And previously. One law firm in each major American city represented all three, three dozen defendants. Over the course of a weekend in 1986, maybe, that group disbanded. And my market for law firms that would buy this asbestos case management system went from 50 to 1,500.
1: That fateful weekend in 1986 opened up a very big business opportunity for Charlie. Nobody else was really making a database product for law firms that were involved in asbestos litigation. Charlie really had something that these firms needed. Of course, just because he had a product that worked didn't mean that the firms would actually buy it.
0: Coming up, we find out what happens to Charlie and his asbestos litigation software. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. This episode of Rocket Chip FM is brought to you by Clubhouse, the first project management platform for software development that brings everyone together so that teams can focus on what matters, creating products their customers love. And speaking of building products that customers love, we've hired a professional voice actress to read off some of the fantastic testimonials that we've gathered about Clubhouse, like this one from Clinton Gromley, the Elastic Stack team lead.
2: Clubhouse is fine-grained enough that each sub-team can track the tasks they're working on, but allows us to zoom out to the team, product, or stack level.
0: Or this one from John Kudmal, the CTO and co-founder of LaunchDarkly.
2: Clubhouse provides the ability to work on a task list at the smallest level where I can check things off all the way up to tracking my entire company's engineering velocity at the milestone level. Or
0: this one from Molly Wolfberg, the product manager at Wistia.
2: Clubhouse provides enough data and a way to view that data, which means it's easy to slice and dice the numbers and makes the team more productive.
0: Listeners of Rocketship.fm can sign up for two free months of Clubhouse by visiting clubhouse.io forward
2: slash Rocketship.fm. Charlie had to go
1: out and sell. and As everybody knows, sometimes sales can be tough. Charlie goes on to describe what that sales process was really like for him at this point. And don't we all wish that our sales processes went something like
2: this? On at least three separate occasions, the senior partner, halfway through the first demonstration, would say, Gloria, would you get the nice man a check? Charlie cashed a lot of checks in the late
1: 1980s. He rode the wave that asbestos litigation brought for him at that time. As firms popped up, they'd need Charlie's software, and Charlie would go and collect the checks. But after a few years of this, that wave came to an end, and Charlie was ready to find new opportunities. And in January of 1992, Charlie ended up writing the first program, which unknowingly at the time would set the stage for what would become the first e-commerce store ever and land him in the world of publishing.
2: In the late 80s, early 90s, I was casting around for new ideas. And because of my exploration, I came across the bulletin board world which were basically a modem that connected to somebody else's modem to somebody else's computer, somebody's personal computer, and you could share a database or you could share screens or data. I wrote in a system called TBBS, which was the kind of communications-enabled version of DBase, again, so I knew what I was writing. And I wrote um, a database that basically let people browse books. So that was the beginning of books.com but it wasn't .com yet. There was no browsers, there was no web at all. Web had not been invented yet. This was 1992 January. And it basically was a, a, a mode actually two modems and a big database of titles that we acquired from a company called Baker and Taylor. We'll come back to Baker and Taylor okay. in a minute. But the database came on CD-ROM, and, and as a theme for some of the stories that go back to that time, we used that database of books in a way it was never intended. <laughs> so we, we did kind of the CD version of screen scraping and went down to the, the disc level and scrape the data out and put it into a database dbase and then uh, enabled lookup on a bulletin board system so at that time we had two million books in a database and we were had two modems which we could have two people in the store at the same time that's how long ago it was
1: two people at
2: a time think
1: about that today we think of the benefit of having an e-commerce store as Anybody in the world could be shopping at our place on the web, as many as we can attract. But back then, in the pre-internet browser days of modem-based bulletin boards, at first, only two people could be browsing at any point in time. Of course, you have to start somewhere, and that was the start of what became Books.com. Even if only two people could browse, at least two people could browse and hopefully purchase books. It then became time to spread the word.
2: We advertised in the New York Times book review, took a little classified ad in the back, and then we sat around and waited. And they waited, and waited, and waited. We checked the modems, made sure they were turned up so that they would set off their little whatever. somebody dialed in. We waited, and we waited, and then finally somebody dialed in. Aha! A potential customer dialing in.
1: Finally. As you can imagine, for Charlie and the team, there was a mixture of hearts racing, nerves firing, perspiration starting to form. But there wasn't any time to think. The customer was there, right then. Now it was time to watch and see what would happen.
2: And We all raced over to watch what they were doing because we were able to see the the progress through the site, all text-based, of course. it was going so slowly i mean it was there was something wrong and it was just each character was painful to watch as it slowly came up on the screen and these were really fast for the time 9600 baud modems cost about two grand apiece um and finally we broke in and they had a chat system in it we broke into the chat system and said welcome to our bookstore you are our first customer so
1: in addition to creating the first e-commerce store, it's also possible that books.com offered the first live chat customer service feature. Nevertheless, books.com, before it was really
2: even a dot com, now had its first customer. And he types back one character at a time, as a blind person, I will find this service to be tremendously valuable. Thank you so much. And he was a, a blind guy in his late 20s who lives in upstate New York and no access to a bookstore. And he bought books on tape. And he was our best customer and our first customer.
1: With their first customer, a blind 20-something-year-old male in upstate New York, Charlie and his team had processed their first sale from the internet's first e-commerce shop. And then...
0: What happened next for Charlie and Books.com? Coming up after a quick word
2: from our sponsors. And then it immediately took off because there was nothing else like it. Yeah. And for people that didn't have access, because this is even the big box stores, borders in Martin Noble were only then starting to roll out. Um, and so a lot of cities, especially smaller ones, didn't have access to nearly as many books as were actually in print. So we provided pretty valuable service and it was growing rapidly. So we started adding lines and, and it was hard to go from two to more. Two modems you could get into one box. Then you had to go to this whole new technology. And so we bought this thing that was designed for ter- dumb terminals to go into a single CPU for like an IBM mainframe. And we were using it the other way. We flipped it around and brought modems into a single CPU. And it was an entirely different use case. And that allowed us to have um, eight simultaneous customers. But one of the developers came and said, you know, we can use Telnet. I said, what the heck's Telnet? And he said, it's this thing on the internet. And I kind of said, so what's the internet? And he said, well, it's a university-based program that schools can um, use email and share databases. So we looked into that, and sure enough, Telnet was a great solution, and Telnet was nothing more than an ASCII-based terminal program, basically. But it did allow us to have an infinite number of users. So we switched to Telnet, now reached for free because previously there was a long distance call involved. Because this was when you used your home phone to dial out and you were paying long distance charges. Once we got on Telnet, it was all free and it was instantly global. And We were literally growing 10 to 20% a month.
1: Now they were using Telnet, which technically got them onto the internet it allowed an unlimited number of consumers, theoretically, to browse their online bookstore. And even a high-end accelerator like Y Combinator would be proud if one of their startups saw 10-20% to month-over-month growth figures. Of course, back in 1992, some Y Combinator founders weren't even born yet. But even still, just because they were on the internet, it didn't mean that they were providing an experience like we're used to today, on an internet browser. Internet browsers were still in the very beginning stages. Charlie's team kept pressing him about expanding onto
2: the web and Charlie finally realized the opportunity it could bring. Probably December of that year, one of the developers came to me and said, you know, there's this new thing called the the web. And I looked at it and I went, oh, well, that's just brochureware, that's not very interesting and dismissed it. Two months later, the same developer comes back and says, you know, I was looking more into this internet thing and it's not just brochureware there's a thing called CGI, which is not computer graphics, but it was a way to programmatically present content. And that changed the whole game because I knew immediately that we could then put our database up on this new thing called the web. So in a period of about 60 days, we wrote an entire e-commerce system from scratch between like December of 93, in February of 94, when we launched it. Uh, and we launched on the web, at books.com, and what happened next was totally unexpected. People started yelling at us, saying you can't run a commercial site on the web.
1: Wait a minute, you can't use the internet to sell stuff? Who were these people
2: anyway? Engineering Task Force, um, uh, Bolt, Bernick and Newman, all these large funded quasi governmental educational institutions that had actually, DARPA, that had actually done the internet and had done it for research. It was the DARPA Department of Advanced Research Projects out of the Defense Department. It was a DARPA project for research. So we started using it for commerce and everybody freaked out. But then as long as so I don't think if we if we tried to sell something other than books we would have gotten shut down for sure. So because Charlie and the team sold books they were in the clear.
1: Of course, very quickly afterwards all sorts of other companies started selling all kinds of things, not just books. But being the first, books.com raised a lot of questions about whether the internet should even be allowed to facilitate commerce. Even still, not everybody got what Charlie and the team were trying to do. Not everybody understood what this online bookstore actually was, even the credit card merchants.
2: When we first went out to get a merchant account so we could take people's credit cards, I was turned down seven times by seven different banks saying, we don't understand this. We're not giving you a merchant account. So finally, I went in and I just lied. And they all went, oh, okay. we understand that. Here's your merchant account. It took me seven tries to figure out that I couldn't tell the truth, but he would understand it. And then the, the general conversation was nobody nobody really got it, particularly in Cleveland, where we did by then have a Barnes & Noble, then a Borders, and they're great, spectacular bookstores. Why would anybody need this? You can't read the books. Um, is my credit card safe? I mean, there were no end of objections why this would never work. Um, and, you know, in a sense, sadly... But there were no local funding sources either. Uh, so we were actually starting to get crunched for cash because while a lot of it there was some lag time between ordering and paying it wasn't quite enough and just the keeping of the inventory we had to move and it was a lot of it was a lot of expense and so we kind of outrun the ability of the previous company to fund it. So I started looking around for money. Now let's
1: pause here for a minute and think about this. Today a company practically inventing a brand new market is almost expected to go out and raise capital to get things off the ground. Sure, you could bootstrap, but there are some technology companies today that have raised even as much as a billion dollars before ever even launching. Now, that might not be the norm, but it's probably also not the norm for a company like Books.com to raise nothing from outside investors. It never did. It was completely bootstrapped. Funded by profits that Charlie's previous business had generated. But now, things were getting expensive. More sales meant more inventory. That inventory was costly. Charlie knew that he didn't have enough cash. But the funding market wasn't the same as it was today. VC firms, they weren't investing in the internet. The 1990s internet bubble hadn't burst because it hadn't even expanded in the first place yet. And Charlie didn't have the connections on the West Coast anyway. He had some connections in Cleveland, but investors in Cleveland didn't even know what to make of Books.com. That lack of funding left Charlie and the Books.com team in a bit of a pinch.
2: Kind of a tough spot because we had, you know, we needed more money to expand to keep it going. And Amazon opened in, um, I think, the summer of 94.
1: Oh, yeah. Amazon. You might have been wondering when they entered this story. It was at this point where Charlie and the Books.com team had proven out the viability of an internet bookstore, yet were faced with challenges finding the capital it needed to keep it afloat and expand when a 30-year-old computer scientist working jobs on Wall Street, Jeff Bezos, had founded a very similar company called Amazon. At Amazon.com, the front door is a page... Out on the internet, its revenues are growing 20 to 30% a month. The number of employees is up from just 7 18 months ago to more than 200.
0: We've created a very simple and easy to use front end that allows people anywhere in the world to search through this vast database of books and find what they're looking for.
2: Right about that same time, um, we were approached by a company that offered me millions of dollars to sell it. So what happened
0: to Charlie and Books.com faced with new competition and stiff funding challenges? Find out next week on part two of the untold story of Books.com.